No, I don't think we're gonna make it, Captain. By God, I don't think we're gonna make it. Oh, oh water, water. Water everywhere. By God, I say water, water everywhere. And Mary, I dropped the drink. Oh, I don't think we're gonna make it, Captain. struggling through the 20th century quagmire, battling through the stygian prose of our time, fighting against the inevitable forces that, uh, that, uh, uh, it was right on the tip of my tongue, damn it, uh, fighting against the inevitable forces that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, threatened to overwhelm us uh, all, <laughs> from Watergate to the newest, uh, BBDO commercial, please, dear, if you will. I feel the urge to play a little Jewish harp. Now, you just listen carefully. that, John. Thank you very much. <laughs> How'd you like that? Now, do you, uh, do you still say, hey, you do a talk show? <laughs> of course, it depends on how you define talk, and I say that's a very eloquent instrument. Just reset it in there, Johnny. There you go. And, uh, this is your first evening on this, uh, this, uh, struggle here. Now, while we're on the subject, you know, I, I have to say, and uh, I, I hope you understand this is done in the, in the spirit of absolute humility. Uh, it just uh, has to be said. <laughs> I, I uh, <clears throat> as a uh, Jews harp player, and the one who has studied the instrument with a great deal of perspicacity, and who has spent his uh, life, you know, I'm saying, I must say this about all musical instruments, 
particularly the more subtle types, and the Jews' harp is one. Uh, many are called, and few are chosen. And uh, don't immediately write me a letter and say, Well, I bought a Jews' harp last week for my son, Fred, and all he gets is this thumping sound, and now he has a loose tooth in the front. Uh, how does he play it? That's like writing to Isaac Stern and saying, I bought a fiddle, and uh, I can't get anything out of it except these squeaks. Please send me a letter and tell me how to play it. It's a tough instrument. You agree, John? Damn tough. Have you ever tried to play one of these little babies? I'll tell you, I, I, no, I'm serious. I, I was out in Nashville over the past weekend. Now, Nashville, as you know, is the center of C&W country music probably in the world. In fact, it is the center in the world, and some of the great country western musicians are there. In fact, one of the great steel guitar men, I spent the weekend with a guy named Pete Drake. And they're great. He's, you know, he's, he's on all the great records. And uh, I had my axe along with me. My I never go anywhere without my Jews harp. I had my axe with me, seeing, sitting in on the session. He says, you know, by God, he said, you know, he's by God, he said, you know, you're one of the better ones. He said, you ought to just give up all that damn stuff you're doing out there in New York, all that stuff writing for Playboy and all that. You ought to come out here where the real dough is because you could make it big out here playing that little old Jews harp. And I thought, what a great thing, you know. <laughs> I said, you know, really? I mean, here I've been invited by one of the top country western musicians to come out and sit in and play as a regular member of his group because of my my um, approach to the instrument. And so, um, naturally, uh, due to the fact that uh, the telephone company has a uh, deposit on which I paid on the phone, and uh, Con Ed has a deposit and all that. I, I couldn't take him up on this because, you know, I'd have a lot of hassle of moving and all that stuff. And uh, what were the fact, you know, bad valve in the car and everything. But uh, just the fact that I was invited to come out and, and to work in Nashville as a Jews harper, that, you know, uh, that's, a, that's kind of a, you know, that's a, let's put it this way. I mean, uh, it's like if you're down at the bowling alley, you know, and you're bowling away. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd pops Chris Schenkel. And he says, hey, you know, you're the best bowler I've seen in years. Why don't you go on the pro circuit? You feel kind of good about it. So uh, the Jews harp, uh, like Sherlock Holmes. Any of you out there Sherlock Holmes fans? Well, you know that Sherlock Holmes, uh, when he was in the middle of a very serious and difficult case, what would he do? I mean, before he embarked on the case, what would Sherlock Holmes do when he was faced with a, 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 a conundrum, a difficult problem to evolve in his mind? What would he do? Well, uh, first of all, he'd uh, give the vision to poor old Watson. You know, Watson, within five minutes, was uh, a blithering idiot. And uh, then what would he do? Well, he would stand up. In fact, uh, it plays an important role in one specific case. Uh, if you're a Sherlock Holmes fanatic, he would stand up and walk around his digs at 221B Baker Street, and uh, he would call for a mug of hot tea from uh, his uh, housekeeper, Mrs. Uh, Murchison, I believe her name was. And uh, he would then begin to play the instrument which brought to him peace of soul. And also it 
focused his great, massive mind so that he could concentrate on this fantastic case which he was about to embark on, the case of the speckled band, the evil case of the orange pips. Do you know of that one? Oh, fantastic case. That's right. I'm not inventing. This was, uh, this was uh, Holmes's actual cases. So what instrument did he play? Do any of you know? Why am I surrounded by such illiterates? <laughs> I mean, that's... I tell you, the world is so full of them. I, 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 you know, I'm always impressed by that. The other day I was in an office, just, just uh, you know, just in casual, and I'm not even going to tell you how this came about because it's too complicated, but I'm in this office, in this very official office where they got, the, you know, $12 million worth of art hanging in the reception room alone. You know, God knows what they had in the real offices. And, and this... Uh, this guy, uh, we're, we're talking back and forth, and, uh, and uh, there is a, a girl who is taking notes on our conversation, at which point uh, and, uh, I got talking to her. He had to go somewhere to answer a phone call, and I just got casually talking to her. I said, uh, you know, she was a kind of great-looking girl, and I said, uh, hey, uh, you're <laughs> a great-looking girl. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I believe in the frontal approach. You just get right down to the basics. In fact, I have a friend who is made a study of the basic frontal approach, and he, he has come up with a conclusion. It's a known as Silverstein's Law of Diminishing Erotic Returns, which is going into most of the textbooks in 1974. And uh, he has discovered that uh, the long period of courtship, uh, shilly-shallying, sending notes, calling up on the phone, uh, pretending that it was just by... Uh, Coincidence, you happened to drop in at the chock full of nuts when this girl was sitting there having a brownie and uh, an orange drink. Uh, is, is absolutely useless in today's life. Uh, Silverstein's law of diminishing erotic returns merely says this. There is a reciprocal relationship between the amount of time spent in attempting a romantic liaison and the actual results pertaining thereto. In other words, the more time you spend fooling around talking, the less actual anything happens. Do you agree with this, Joan? <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. Uh, have you known guys? No, wait, you're, you're a girl type. You've known guys that have uh, kind of come around, you know, and they says, Oh, Joan, uh, gee, by George. <laughs> uh, what a coincidence. <laughs> you're here by the uh, water cooler. Hi, <laughs> George. And, uh, then they go down the hall, right? Uh, every time you show up, this, uh, he, he, he pops up. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> kind of funny meeting you here in the bank. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't have an account here. I just walked through this bank. <laughs> All right, George. Well, nothing's ever going to happen between you two. Do you agree? You don't agree. You do agree. Right, I'm getting a feminine that... I mean, I can't imagine anybody more expert in this since you're, you're an absolute certifiable female. Now, uh, shall, uh, the, uh, Mr. Silverstein's technique is this. Uh, when going to a party, and there are large numbers of people involved, men, women, all types. I mean, in this day and age, you cannot just specify that there are females and males. There are various gradations. You agree with that in between? Uh, so uh, yes, no, no, we're we're <laughs> we're approaching reality head on. <laughs> In fact, I know one crowd that's gone completely a full circle. Uh, they've started out uh, they started out ostensibly in the male camp, uh, traveled rapidly towards the other camp, 
and uh, have continued to move, you see, and now they're back in the mail division there, not realizing, of course, that they've arrived right back there with Archie Bunker. So, uh, you know, nothing's changed at all except the terminology. So, nevertheless, he, uh, the law of diminishing returns in the erotic field works like this. It's a, it's a reciprocal relationship, really. It's not a direct relationship. You know the difference, of course, between a direct relationship and a reciprocal relationship. Well, I can see that uh, your math knowledge is minimal at best. Uh, reciprocal. <laughs> That's beyond the scope of this course anyway. So, nevertheless, uh, the technique involves walking into a room, and there's, you know, there's women, all types, you know, fern plants, everything going there, see? Turtles, pet uh, iguana, and everything else. So you choose whatever it is that interests you particularly. Now, uh, as we say... Uh, every person to his own thing. It may be the iguana. It, uh, we're speaking in the erotic sense. Uh, it may be the fern plant. I have known people who have had fantastic love affairs with uh, some of the uh, larger, well-developed ferns. There are certain ferns that have fantastic sexuality to them. Did you know that? You know that the fern doesn't just come out and you know throw out seeds around. Oh, no, indeed. Uh, no, no, the, the erotic content of things which you would hardly believe is there. For example, do you know anything about the love life of the common, ordinary, garden variety of a uh, cacti dimenis? That's a cactus. Sickening. I'm telling you, it's, uh, if you think pornography is bad that when it involves people, you ought to see what happens when they start working on the pornography of the cactus plant. But uh, speaking of... Uh, I don't know why obscenities bring this into focus, but this is W.O.R. New York. Now, there's all kinds of obscenities, friends. Don't you think for one minute they only deal with sex. No way. <laughs> and we're going to have a lot to answer for when we arrive at the great bar of justice. However, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the law of diminishing erotic returns states really basically that the more time you spend in... Uh, Chili shelling around. For example, Romeo just obviously was all talk. I mean, any guy that stands around by, uh, under a balcony and plays a guitar and, uh, and, and, and speaks in blank verse, for God's sakes, he's never, you know, this is all wind and, you know, it's all, all uh, you know, it's all potatoes and no meat. And it uh, depends on if you have a thing on potatoes, that's all right. Now, a lot of people do get their kicks out of words. It's a fact. I'm not going to argue that. And so Romeo's standing underneath this balcony, hollering, you know, oh, my Juliet. And she comes out and says, Romeo, wherefore art thou? This, you know, that uh, that's okay if, if words do it to you. But if it's a uh, living, pulsating flesh and blood that does it to you, words will never suffice. That's a whole new and different ball game. Anyway, we'll get back to the uh, the uh, topic now, and the I hope you're taking notes. This will appear in the finals. And uh, remember, this is the law of diminishing returns in the erotic cycle. That should be capitalized. It is a reciprocal relationship, uh, which is this. Equation should be written down S, capital S, equals 1 over A. Would you please write that down? S equals 1 over A. 
or conversely, SA equals one. And we're using that we're using various algebraic conversions of the of the uh, basic formula here. So S stands for in this in this equation, S stands for success. The equal sign stands for the equal sign. I mean, I don't know how dumb you are, but we have to explain that to you, I suppose. S stands for success in this equation. One stands for one. A stands for activity. <laughs> okay? Now you can see that S equals one over A, which means that the more activity you involve yourself in, the less success you will achieve. You, you do see that in this equation, or, or is it a little obscured to you? It is obscure. You, you can understand it. All right. Uh, now, this is, uh, this is an equation that is, incidentally, the illustri illustrative, really, of a theorem, not, uh, not a hypothesis, but a theorem that has been proven in many or at least uh, partially proven in many laboratory and field experiments, which is even more interesting. The lab experiment in this area is not nearly... That's why Masterson and his... Uh, uh, this lady that works with Masterson, you know, doing all this stuff, this is why I find a great deal of inaccuracies in their findings due to the fact that they use laboratory techniques. Now, if they could learn how to swing down into the back seat of a Pontiac GTO parked in the uh, Route 3 drive-in, uh, they may come away with some more accurate uh, actual field results. But all this laboratory stuff is pure hanky-panky. Uh, it gets you good grants, I agree. Get you on the Dick Cavett show, I agree. But it will not say much about what's actually going on. Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever been involved in laboratory experiments. I mean, as a thing. Have you ever been called in to be a guinea pig in a lab experiment? Well, you know damn well, the minute you get in the lab, things change. They give you this little white coat. They put these paper slippers on your feet. They hook electrodes on your ear. And they say, I think clean thoughts. Uh, and then they all sit by the scope and watch. This is not the, the way it's done. Or they, <laughs> you know, in life, it does not work that way. Uh, so there is a great discrepancy between laboratory experimentation and life experience, which is not the same as experimentation. It can, in some ways, be experimentation, and it can also be far more dangerous. Gunfire rarely erupts in a situation in the lab. However, gunfire has been known to erupt quite consistently between sexes involved in field activities and experience. Do you agree with that? At no point. <laughs> so, so uh, if uh, this uh, if this is a little uh, a little difficult for you to follow here, I would say this: that when you uh, let's put it on another plane, class. If uh, if this uh, girl sitting next to you, uh, you know, this great looking chick the one you've been looking for, you know, looking at for three semesters now. And uh, if the professor says, we are now going to conduct a lab experiment in erotic impulses. Now, if you'll look to the person on your left, you'll notice that this is a female. Uh, the one on your right, if you are a female, is a male. Now, at the count of three, you will reach out and uh, you will uh, caress the person next to you. And he's up there with the blue books and all that stuff, and he's got the... 
He's got a microscope. That's important. Have a microscope. And if you have a lot of graph paper on the walls, you will find that at the count of three, the girl will actually do it. She will reach up. She wants to get a grade two, and she gets swept away by the laboratory experimentation. She will reach out and grasp your hand. Uh, and you will reach out and grasp her, uh, well, let's say, hand, and uh, nothing will ensue. If, however, you find yourself in a situation which is called life experimentation or life activity, life experience situation, you are liable to be sitting in a GTO. You have been, uh, you know, uh, talking about this chick for some time. You finally got her into the drive-in, and uh, you look over at her, and uh, she is sitting there with rapt expression, looking at the uh, Charlton Heston movie up there, and uh, suddenly you reach out and grab her. Now, that's not a laboratory situation whatsoever. Not at all. And it can go in any direction. One, you can discover that she carries a small twenty-five caliber Derringer, which she likes to use occasionally in close quarters. That can be very damaging to your liver. Indeed. And uh, it can cause... Uh, it can also dirty up your seats, too. I mean, with all that blood and stuff. Now, on the other hand, you can find that she, in common with many of her sisters, has, uh, is a lifelong studier of various types of oriental defense mechanisms. Kung Fu, Junju, Jinghai, uh, all the rest of it. She goes, and the next thing you know, you're sprawled out there next to the root beer stand, and uh, by George, you're going to be crawling around on the ground looking for your teeth. Now, this is not, it never happens to the Mastersons, apparently. I've read some of their findings. Never once does anybody leap up and say, hey, and down the guy goes with a, <laughs> with a bruised pancreas, uh, crawling around in the ground, heaving up his guts. Now, I, w I imagine they would write that down. Uh, how would they describe that in, uh, you know, objective technical terms? Subject fell heavily to ground, causing second and third degree abrasions of the glutamus maximus, uh, etc., which means he got kicked over on his you-know-what. But, however, uh, we, we, we want to get back to the subject here, which is the law of, uh, of uh, diminishing returns in the erotic area. S is equal to 1 over A. This is a life equation arrived at by empirical means and has incidentally cost a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and I might say uh, a lot of, well, to put it bluntly, rather nasty experiences have developed compiling this uh, particular equation. Now, certain things are very dangerous to study in life. For example, if you decide that what you're going to do is to make an on-the-spot life study of the mating habits of the hooded cobra of India, and uh, you have to do it close up because the mating cobra can be very subtle. And at the same time, he can... Uh, in fact, many a mating cobra has had a, roughly the, uh, the, uh, the external outlook towards life of a badger with an impacted wisdom tooth. Uh, you can find that this can be exciting and also quite dangerous. So, well, this is true of many experiments. For those of you who want to take up a life of experimentation and that uh, would like to... Uh, do so by involving yourself in life activities. Now, I'd like to say this for one thing. There are two types of, of experimenters, two types of uh, researchers in the field. There's the laboratory 
researcher who spends a lot of his time watching Swedish movies. Uh, you must understand today, unfortunately, many people's knowledge of sex uh, is largely uh, confined to watching many, many art films. Their knowledge of actual sex is rudimentary at best, if at all. In fact, many of them are beginning to believe that sex exists only as a cinematic concept and does not have any, uh, any parallel in real life. And that is quite true in their lives. This is quite true. Uh, probably the only erotic experience that many of them experience is to get themselves a nice great big jar of Breakstone's lemon yogurt. Uh, this can be quite exciting to people of that type. Uh, an afternoon at the health food store can be exciting, too, exchanging ideas and, you know, recipes of carrot juice, one thing, another. However, that's another story. Uh, we are going back to the basic premise of the class. S is equal to 1 over A. Any questions from the class about that? Do you have any questions, Jerry? Or have you also experienced this uh, in life? Uh, Joan, do you have any questions? Well, if you don't have any questions, that will continue in the same boring vein. Uh, you had your chance now to leap in. <laughs> All right, George, and tell me your funny story. Since you booted it again, I will take over. We have to maintain order in the classroom. Now, uh, the, the S is equal to 1 over A equation is a highly, highly explosive equation. Just uh, most, of the, most of the great discoveries have seemed on the surface to be simple. E is equal to mc squared. Anybody can write that down. You know what this refers to, don't you? E is equal to mc squared. This is, uh, of course, what ushered in the atomic age. It made uh, Walter Cronkite famous. It, uh, it, uh, it, it just brought in all kinds of bad stuff. Fallout, strontium-90, it uh, spawned at least two and a half million uh, protest groups. It, uh, it, it just did everything. Now, S is equal to 1 over A could very well revolutionize the world of erotic experience because it goes against the grain of, uh, of, of all accepted uh, practitioners in the field. You know that for years there were various textbooks on how to make yourself popular with the other, other sex. Have you ever seen one of those? How to make yourself popular with the other sex. And they involve all kinds of things. A Cosmopolitan magazine continually has things like a 49 ways to make Mr. Smashing notice you by Rona Jaffe. Um, <laughs> well, and then the next issue comes out with 49 ways on how to make Mr. Smashing pay through the nose by Rona Jaffe. And uh, 49 ways to get Mr. Smashing to take you to Bermuda, pay all the expenses, and don't give him a damn thing in return by Rona Jaffe. Now, uh, what does this mean? Uh, this this uh, has great meaning in our time. That that is there's a there's an old-fashioned belief in the courtship ritual. This incidentally is what the Romeo and Juliet is based upon. The entire play is based on the courtship ritual. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Hey, here he is standing right down there with a guitar. What is this? This is wordplay. A courtship ritual, much as in the same way that the crested golden bandicoot involves itself in a courtship ritual where it squats down and three times in succession it will make the following noise, quack, 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 
It will then stand up and walk around its nest counterclockwise, puffing its chest out, squatting once again, facing northeast, at which point it will again stand and go quack, 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 three times, no more. This is the courtship ritual of the golden-crested puffed bandicoot. Now, we as, a, as a human beings, we have for years believed that we were a subtle creature. And we needed all these things. Valentines. What is this? A courtship ritual, right? Have you ever gotten one, Joan? From a mysterious admirer? No. <laughs> you kept getting it from Hubert, right? <laughs> or Irving. Uh, no. <laughs> That's a little depressing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, this is all part of the courtship ritual, heart-shaped boxes of candy, endless poems to my beloved, uh, all this sort of thing. Now, it was believed that prior to this age of enlightenment that all this was necessary for the achievement of the final goal, which in our equation is represented with the capital letter A, activity. Now, there are other words for this. And uh, we do not wish to go into that, since that is, again, beyond the scope of this course. Uh, but activity means activity, not words. Activity. Uh, other people in other times have called it hanky-panky. Uh, there's been other, other phrases used. Now, uh, I do not wish to, t to, to, uh, to, uh, to carry this uh, too far. I will say, however, that in the age of enlightenment, which we are living in, incidentally, all peoples have felt throughout all of history that they have lived in the Age of Enlightenment. This is unfortunately a fact. We know better now, don't we, friends? That is true. I can see two guys sitting there, Girth and Wamba. Girth is wearing this large brass ring around his neck. Wamba has a brass ring in his nose. And they are sitting next to a toadstool. The year is 822. Girth says to Wamba, Girth, how doest thou? And Girth says, Hmm, it is good to live in time of enlightenment. Well, of course, we both now know that they were deep in the heart of the Dark Ages. At no point did Girth ever say to Wamba, Hmm, we live in Dark Ages, too bad, born too soon. Not good. No way. Uh, it was believed by Girth and Wamba that they were living at the time of final enlightenment. Well, what did final enlightenment, final enlightenment mean to them? That's the next question, right? What it meant was, basically, that they had done away with the old tin or rustable neck bands. And in the Age of Enlightenment, brass had been discovered, and now brass neck bands and brass nose rings were now properly used, and no longer did the skin get infected by... Uh, rust from the uh, neck band. Now, uh, <laughs> so each each time uh, class, each year as time progresses, it is believed by mankind that the millennia of enlightenment has arrived. How many times have you heard, well, the modern generation is uh, highly more intelligent than previous generations and much more concerned over truly deep and uh, and meaningful subjects. And so hence, obviously, uh, the future can only be but beautiful, and there will be nothing but green grass, birds, butterflies, and uh, people singing and playing lutes in the future. 
once that old rotten generation has disappeared from the scene. Whole books have been written on it. <laughs> one of them called Greening of America. You ever hear that one? It's sad, poor, sad attempt. Uh, another myth. However, this this is a this is a perpetual feeling that this has dogged mankind throughout all time and is again beyond the scope of this course. So we will not bring that up. However, in certain areas we have made progress. Unfortunately, in other areas we have declined. So ultimately, in sum and total, uh, we have not moved much beyond girth and wamba. On one hand, uh, you can drive your car now uh, great distances in eight hours. On the other hand, you can find yourself made into marmalade by driving that same car into a <laughs> ironically named safety island. And uh, uh, so, well, girth would never have had that happen to him, nor would wamba, but you will. So, each action has a reaction. Right? Each good has its accompanying evil. Right. Now, it is believed by many people, and this is one of the poor, again, sad uh, uh, myths that has dogged mankind, that we can, we, can, we can eliminate evil while at the same time proliferating good. This has been believed by many people, and is still believed by many. I mean, people loudly proclaim that this is possible. I mean, often their voices are much louder than what they actually do. Bella Abzug, very loud. Uh, but the, the, the uh, yes, uh, that's known as, by the way, the Bella Abzug. A very interesting thing. That the, there's been experiments based on the Bella Abzug voice projection technique. Uh, it's called the Bella Abzug trapezoidal uh, parabolic voice projection technique, which we will go into in later. later. Uh, this is not come easy. You don't think that Bella Abzug uh, was born with a voice that could be heard in Staten Island when she was somewhere in Westchester County. No way. This comes from work, 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 and scientific knowledge applied to the upper and lower diaphragm. Not easy. But uh, that's beyond the scope of the course tonight. We are, however, discussing S is equal 1 over A. We repeat S is equal 1 over A. We continue. Uh, in actual field practice, the leading uh, experimenter in this field who prefers to remain anonymous, and for reasons best known to himself, and because, uh, as I often said, this type of field experimentation can be extremely dangerous, uh, found that he was spending endless days calling on the phone, attempting to make contact with various unbelievably luscious uh, females of his very slight acquaintance to no avail. And then one evening, uh, due to uh, a rather uh, precipitous intake of Tokay wine, curious as to the brand, it was a second-rate brand, highly, highly volatile, uh, he, he uh, walked into a room, and upon spotting a large, unbelievably uh, nubile blonde, walked right up to her, grabbed her by the elbow, and says, Come on! He experienced unparalleled success. He not only, she not only came with him, she showed him where they should go. And uh, there was a brief 15-minute uh, returned her to the party, Nonetheless, for wear, but with her eyes sparkling, the cheeks displaying roses, uh, he thought first that this was a fluke, so he moved a little to his right and honed in on a, 
on a particularly interesting-looking redhead who was standing next to a fern plant. He walked up to her and says, It's your turn. Come on. by the elbow, and that entire evening changed his life. He has discovered S is equal to 1 over A. Okay. It changed his life. And uh, it also, I might add, and, and there were side effects that might be of interest to you, the courtship ritual can be a highly expensive ritual. I'm talking about from the standpoint of the not only emotional and psychological expenses. Uh, people lose weight. Uh, they often get involved in sword fights. Look at Romeo. Uh, all this jazz. He discovered that the, that he could that that the that the new techniques which he, which he had involved did away with all his expenses. No valentines. No long lingering lunches. Uh, he discovered he did not have to take women uh, and spend uh, fourteen twenty dollars for for uh, for a second rate lunch in a little uh, you know a little uh, uh, Italian restaurant over on the west side, uh, followed by an expensive cab ride to her apartment. At which point she would announce that she has a busy day the next day and also has a headache. And uh, so he discovered that all of these things. Uh, we're, we're useless. Now, I must also add, however, that there is what we call uh, the, the, uh, an increment of random chance involved in this. This is incidentally part of all uh, mathematical calculations of a more modern genre. In other words, if, you, if you've learned that A equals B or 1 equals 1, does it always? Only to the innocent. Only to the innocent. We who have been watching the Watergate hearings know that <laughs> A does not always equal A, nor does B always equal B. It can, all, it can equal all kinds of things, depending on the viewpoint of the observer. So there is a thing called the random fallout factor. You must take this into account. So as you walk into the room and you grasp this female by the elbow and say, Hey, baby, let's go. Uh, due to the random fallout technique, you may catch her at a at a moment. This is again random. Uh, that is uh, unprecipitous. You may get a shot in the eye that you will not forget. Do not allow this to color your attitude towards the formula. Uh, this is the random. We, we uh, well, incidentally, I, 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 to make this. More accurate, the, the, uh, the formula, if you're going to use it in actual practice. I, I like to simplify for text, for textbook purposes and for classroom purposes. S is equal to 1 over A bracket X prime. Now, X prime equals random factors, which means that some random... Now, the random factor can be zero. In other words, you have not encountered random factor, so S, S, S actually does equal 1 over A, right? However, if you walk in and this chick, uh, this, this uh, female that you are honing in on, has uh, spent uh, 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 an unfortunate evening arguing at great length with her mother, uh, and, and this happens quite often in Queens, uh, spent a long evening arguing with her mother, 
over the telephone about why she didn't come out last Sunday because her Uncle Amy was here and came all the way from Kansas and she didn't show. Uh, she could very well turn and hit you a shot. Now that's random. Two weeks later, you'd have hit pay dirt. Uh, but that's a that's what we call the random factor. Now S is equal to one over A. Now how we got involved in this is beyond the scope of this course. But uh, for, we, we assume that all of you are interested uh, to a lesser or greater degree in the opposite sex. Would you agree with that premise? You notice I said to a greater or lesser degree. I did not say that the degree of interest is always constant. We like to use these words in classroom, constant. A, con a variable constant, I've actually heard that used in a classroom, which is kind of a contradiction in terms, but uh, nevertheless it has this great nice ring, the variable constant factor. <laughs> Hi, George. However, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, as you approach the actual usage of this, this formula, S is equal to 1 over A, you must be conscious of these various random factors. Now, uh, in our next class study period, we are going to take up uh, the implementation of X is equal to 1 over A. We've introduced you to the theory now. We've introduced you to the basic concept. I'd like to illustrate briefly this. When Einstein stated categorically E is equal to MC squared, it remained for others to put it into actual usage, producing, therefore, uh, fallout, uh, protest groups, uh, movies called Hiroshima, <laughs> all the rest of it. So uh, our next class study will take up what we call the basic in-practice implementation of S is equal to 1 over A. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow on Morning Classroom. Morning Classroom has been sent to you by the Public Broadcasting Service. Experiments in Internal and External Personal Relationships. <music> Professor J.G. Bullard will be with us again next Tuesday at the same time or consult your local program listings. A copy of tonight's text will be supplied on demand to qualified requesters over the age of 21. Inquire about our three credit hour offer.